The Powers on Sports podcast is brought to you by Titan Home Lending, Print and Marketing Solutions, and Star Alvarado. Enjoy the podcast. Larry Bird's not walking through that door. We're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. It's my team. It's my quarterback. A kick. It is To beat the man, you gotta beat the man. The two-one swung lane drive left field. One run is in. Here comes Green. Here's the run of the play. This is the Powers on Sports podcast. Well, well, well. Welcome back into the Powers on Sports podcast. I'm your host Jason down in Tampa. We have a little history in the Mile High City as the Denver Nuggets dispose of the Miami Heat in five games to win their first NBA title in 47 years of being in Denver. Like I told you on the podcast a couple weeks back, I thought Denver would win the the series in five games. They did. Game five was a very entertaining finish. Uh, Low scoring. Uh, defensive kind of battle, teams didn't shoot very well, but a pretty good dr- dramatic ending um, in Denver last night. And the Nuggets get it done. Jokic is your MVP, as expected, as he clearly was the best player in the in the uh, NBA Finals. And Denver wins their first title, going 16-4 and throughout their playoff run. Very impressive run there, only four losses in the playoffs. I think I think I saw a stat they won 10 out of their last 11 or might have been 11 out of 12 games in the finals which is pretty pretty incredible going back to when it was 2-2 versus uh 10 out of 11 because it was 2-2 versus Phoenix and they won the last two of that series swept the Lakers and then won 4 out of 5 against the Heat so 10 out of 11 for the Nuggets so great job by the Nuggets got a good opportunity to keep this going for a while you got Murray Jokic under contract. You got Gordon. You got Michael Porter. And you got a couple of the role players that will be back. So Denver is very much it will be in a position to be contending next year in the West. will be very interesting to see what the uh, the West looks like after the NBA draft and free agency. You're going to have some movement there of some guys. So uh, your Denver Nuggets are your NBA world champions. I know we got the NBA draft coming up in about a week and a half or so. And then you're going to have uh, the NBA free agency period will start right around the 4th of July weekend. So, got a great episode for you. We're going to talk to Ian Hest uh, down in Miami, South Florida. Talking, uh, Ian is the founder and host of the Heron Outlet. Ian covers all things Miami FC, Inter-Miami FC, uh, the MLS team. The huge news coming out of Miami concerning MLS is obviously Lionel Messi's coming to town. Uh probably in July, which we're going to have a good chat about with Ian about uh, concerning the contract and the impact and Messi uh, coming to Miami and how all that came about. A little more interesting than you might have thought, than you might think. We're also going to talk to Matt Zemek from USA Today's Trojan Wire. Matt covers uh, all things USC Trojans athletics. He covers the Pac-12, lots of stuff out West. He's just a great uh, mind for the uh, the sports world. We're going to talk to Matt about some Big Ten scheduling news that was released. 
We're going to talk about Djokovic. Matt's a big tennis guy, so we're going to talk to Matt, uh, Matt about Djokovic's historic Grand Slam in Paris and, and more. So two good guests for you. Before we get to those guys, I'm going to give you a couple thoughts on just a couple of the note, news, news and notes of, uh, of the week heading into uh, this weekend. Uh, the NHL 3-1 Vegas Game 5 is on Tuesday night in Las Vegas. They can wrap up their uh, first uh, Stanley Cup title out in Vegas. I know that will be a jumping atmosphere out there, ready to celebrate. Remember, this team's only in its fifth year of, of existence. Already been to the Stanley Cup a couple of times, so uh, they are the better team. But this is the one one thing of in hockey, as opposed to the NBA, much more likely and much more opportunistic for a team to come back 3-1. Remember, the Panthers were down 3-1 in round one to Boston, came back and won in game five in Boston in overtime, went on to win game six and seven. So not out of the realm of possibility that this could be an extended series. Um, one issue for Florida is Kachuk's status. He's he got hurt, I think, in Game Three. Uh, did not, you know, it looked like a shoulder injury of some sort. So we'll see what his effectiveness is going into Game Five. Um, tough loss for Florida in Game Four in in Sunrise, but Game Five Tuesday night in Las Vegas can clinch the title for the Knights. And give a shout out to T.C. Martin and his Golden Knights and his Las Vegas Aces, who are uh, dominating the WNBA at this early stage. So shout out to TC Martin. Uh, remember a couple places you can, uh, a couple other things. John Morant suspension will be coming soon from the NBA. I would expect that would probably be by the end of the week would be my thought. Uh, by Monday at the absolute latest of next week. You don't want, they don't, I don't think they want that to be overshadowing the draft. So I think you'll hear that announcement by the end of the week. I think if you're the NBA, you have to give them a minimum of 50 games plus the playoffs. Uh, I would not uh, reward Ja for allowing him to be, uh, you know, sit out 40 or 50 games and then come back and play 30 and go to the. To me, I would make this a double pronged suspension, a 50 game suspension, plus ineligible for playoff participation if the Grizzlies make the playoffs next year. I think that's the type of suspension that will get resonate with the players, will resonate with him and will fully get his uh, undivided attention of this behavior of, of doing the things that he's been doing uh, has to change. And speaking of changing behavior, what about the disastrous, disastrous uh, nuggets that are coming out about Zion Williamson and his, uh, uh, you know, interactions with, with porn stars and other people and one in particular who was, who was uh, dropping receipts and text message chains and all this kind of Come on, Zion Williamson. Don't be. You're you're about to be the next guy to ruin it all over. And and I know you've gotten paid and you got your huge extension, but you've got so much ability and the opportunity to be a a uh, generational type of talent. This guy is just go, getting some massively bad advice from his parents. He's got pe too many people around him not telling him what he needs to hear. Um, but this is a kid that needs to grow up too. Uh, you know, Zion is turning into a, into a train wreck in New Orleans right before our eyes. He all of his all of his stuff is out on Front Street. Um, text message chain. You know, he's obviously not very good at uh, concealing things. If you are going to be involved in some of that kind of stuff, his uh, the ability for him to conceal that stuff is pretty lousy. Uh, apparently, uh, Zion got somebody pregnant. Uh, you know, having having relationships with uh, 
running around, all that kind of stuff. Not a good look for Zion Williamson uh, leading into another year in New Orleans. So hopefully Zion can can figure out what's going on over the summer here and try to get some of this stuff back on the rails because quickly it is running off the rails in a hurry. So um, got to, like I said, couple other notes. Uh, LA Country Club going to be hosting the U.S. Open this week. It'll be interesting to see what the live PGA with all the live PGA merger stuff, how that story develops throughout the week at a major championship out in Los Angeles. So there'll be lots of uh, intrigue there. I did see that Rory and Brooks Kepka are playing together in the first two rounds. So that'll be interesting as well. I'm sure that was uh, purposeful in how they did that. But yes, uh, LA Country Club hosting the U.S. Open this week and Father's Day weekend. Remember, don't forget your dad this weekend. Uh, make sure you get take care of him and all that good stuff. And last note, talk about Skip and Shannon. On if you if you watch the morning debate shows, Tuesday was the last day for Skip, uh, Shannon Sharp on the Skip uh, Undisputed show with Skip Bayless on FS1. He bid his farewell. Not sure all the details of what caused the exit, uh, but Skip. Bayless is now, will be interesting to see what Fox does and who they put with Skip Bayless moving forward. There was You've heard some names, uh, Nick Wright, you've heard LaShawn McCoy potentially. I think LaShawn McCoy would be a disaster, um, but a guy like Nick Wright, uh, but you got to have somebody that's, that's, that's forceful, um, that can talk a lot of different topics. So it'll be interesting to see what uh, what FS Fox and FS1 do there with the replacement of, uh, of Shannon Sharp. And it'll be interesting to see where Shannon Sharp ends up. If he ends up maybe potentially at ESPN, does he, you know, what does he what does he end up doing? Does he end up on, on another NFL pregame show? Or where does Shannon Sharp go? But I thought Shannon did a really good job with Skip. Uh, you know, obviously Skip's Skip's very outlandish, but I I think Shannon was very well versed, was very uh, knowledgeable and, and it did a good job on TV. So it'll be interesting to see what the future holds for one Shannon Sharp. Don't worry about Shannon, though. He's getting paid. So um, so they have it. There's your sports news. Remember, you can uh, check out the Pressbox Radio Show, pressboxradio.com. I am a, uh, will be, I co-host every Wednesday morning from 8 a.m. to 10, 10 a.m. with host Mike Grace on the Pressbox Show. Uh, again, you can find it online, the pressboxradio.com. You can find us on Twitter as well. I'd love to hear your comments. If you have any comments about anything we're doing here on the podcast or on the radio show, at JPO Sports on Twitter. Check out my YouTube channel as well, Jason Powers Sports Channel, for all the video interviews. So you can go check out our, my interview with Ian Hest, my interview with Matt Zemick, all my previous interviews that we've done on the podcast, everything from Brad Johnson, Super Bowl winning quarterback. We've had Bob Rathbun, NBA play-by-play guy. Uh, we've had coaches' wives. We've had uh, former players. So just all the video interviews go to the Jason Powers Sports Channel on YouTube. So appreciate you finding us. If you haven't already done so, hit subscribe on your podcast platform. Tell a friend about what we're doing. Tell your sports friends because we like to talk about lots of things in the sports world. We don't just this is not just a football centric uh, sports world. We talk soccer. We talk golf. We talk uh, whatever's going on in the world. College football. The NFL. Uh, we talk scandals, all that kind of good stuff. So check it out. Appreciate you finding us. And you're going to enjoy Ian Hest and Matt Zemick. After this timeout, we'll be back in just a minute with Ian Hest. Now a word from our partners at Print and Marketing Solutions, as well as Star Alvarado, our realtor here on the podcast. 
you have any buying and selling needs anywhere in the Bay Area, reach out to Star Alvarado, 813-538-9572. She can help you on the selling side or the buying side of any real estate transaction here in the Tampa Bay Area. From St. Pete to Tampa to Wesley Chapel and anywhere in between, reach out to Star Alvarado, 813-538-9572. And Print and Marketing Solutions, my guy Todd Tedesco, 813-498-2887. Todd's located on the corner of Lineball and Gun Highway over in Carrollwood. Todd can help you with all of your print and supply needs, corporate events, golf tournaments, signs and banners, marketing pieces, color copies, anything in between. Todd is your print and marketing specialist. Again, print and marketing specialist, Todd Tedesco, 813-498-2887. All right, welcome back, Powers on Sports Podcast. As I told you, we were going to tease. We are going to talk all things Lionel Messi to the United States, to MLS, and more specifically to Inter-Miami FC and the person who is right there on the scene covering this team every single day, Ian Hest, the founder and host of the Heron Outlet, which is all things Inter-Miami FC and covers South Florida sports. And uh, he's been on the podcast a couple of times in the past. So big doings down in South Florida the last week or so. I know you've been busy, Ian. Just a little bit, right? Just a little bit. <laughs> All right, talk to us about, um, obviously, let's talk a little bit of the Miami team first, and then we'll get to Messi. Obviously, this team had some expectations coming into the year, had a pretty decent run last year. They are struggling mightily, bottom of the bottom of the table in the, in the Eastern Conference of MLS. They fired the manager about a month ago, a month or so ago, I believe. I know they did, but about a month or so ago on the timeline, Phil Neville's out. Just give us a quick sense of the, of the, of the team and where they're at right now. Yeah, they had finished sixth in the Eastern Conference last last year, um, and the expectation was that they would be better this year. The, the Phil Neville, who was the manager, like you mentioned, uh, set the expectation of top four in the Eastern Conference heading into the year. They currently find themselves bottom, absolute last 15th yeah. place in the Eastern Conference. And, you know, some of it has not been of their own doing. Some of it has been they've been absolutely decimated by injuries. They cannot seem to catch a break right now. Two of their best players are out for the year. Uh, including their captain. So a lot of that has been very difficult. 10 of their 12 losses have come by one goal. Uh, so, so a lot of very narrow margins that this team probably deserves better, but hasn't gotten it. And now they find themselves in this position. They're seven points out of the playoffs. We're 17 games in. That's the halfway mark of the MLS regular season. There's 34 regular season games. There's some other competitions that they're doing well in, like the U.S. Open Cup, which they find themselves for the first time ever in the semifinals for. Uh, but, but you know, the league is where you're going to make your name. The league is where people are going to follow week in and week out. And right there, they're one of the worst teams in the league right now. All right, so let's get to the big news. You and I actually kind of preface this. We talked right before the M the weekend before the MLS season started, and we talked about this being a possibility of Messi potentially coming here. There were some rumblings back early in the spring that that was a possibility. He spurns the huge offer from Saudi Arabia, spurs the potential return to uh, to Barcelona, and there were some disparaging comments came out of Barcelona in the last week or so. Talk to me about how this deal came together and kind of what ultimately pushed Messi over the edge that he wanted to come here. Yeah, I, re I really had to give credit to the the owners, the, the Moss brothers, Jorge and Jose Moss, 
who are the majority owners of Inter Miami. They had this on the radar basically back to 2019, even before Miami started playing games. They had wanted this. They had reached out and, and had tried to make proposals for this to happen. To even, even when COVID was really up and running and Messi was trying to decide where he was going to go, and he ended up in PSG in Paris, there was reignited conversations then. So this has been on the table for a while. And even into last fall, that's really when I started to to, to believe that this was real, that, that, that they were serious about this, and Messi was serious about this, uh, that, that this was basically on the verge of happening, I want to say, last fall, right in the heart of college football season. And then I would say maybe w- when the World Cup happened, the success that they had, winning the World Cup, Messi winning the Bologna, uh, the, the 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 golden boot as the player of the tournament um that that there was some com- there was some sort of what if that that Saudi Arabia became in, interested PSG maybe wanted to get him back before all the downturn that happened with them and Barcelona really re-entered the mix and it wasn't until all of that cooled down that you sort of saw a recalibration back to inter Miami where they had always had the most normal organized not dramatic there there wasn't really these these side circuses Miami had maintained focus and maintained contact and that really won the day in the end it was it was very methodical and I give the the ownership a lot of credit because they knocked this out of the park talk about the the impact of Beckham being involved with the ownership and Don Garber with MLS Obviously, we're going to get to the contract details here and just a couple things here in a second. But obviously, Garber was, I'm sure, was pretty instrumental in these talks as well. Talk about Beckham and Garber and their and their involvement in this at all, if they have yeah, how much. Of course, we go back to 2007 when David Beckham came to the LA Galaxy, a, a record contract that included his availability to purchase Inter Miami or eventually Inter Miami for a discounted price. That was part of his contract back then. Uh, I will give them a, a lot of credit in the fact that. They knew what needed to get over the line in this, and we can talk about the contract here. But, but really, you know, David Beckham brought Messi to the floor. It was the other owners and and the other management that really crossed it over the line. And and so, uh, you know, there obviously is the appeal of Miami, the appeal of David Beckham, the appeal of the United States of America, which is right. huge for Messi, who's owned a home here in Miami for several years. Uh, that 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 this sort of made sense at this moment in time. Was Miami the only franchise that had any chance to get Messi? Would there not be a New York opera? I mean, obviously, big he would he's going to go to a big city. Is my was Miami the only the only option MLS wise in, in Major League Soccer? It was only Miami. That was the only option for him. I mean, not the only option for him. <laughs> there, right. There's countless coaches that have been on record saying, "Well, we would have loved to have Messi," but. For him, it was Miami in, in terms of heading to the United States. That was the only option. All right, let's get to some of the details of the deal. Obviously, all of them haven't been finalized yet. We don't know all of them, but there's been talk of he's going to have an equity interest in the Apple TV deal. He's going to have an ownership stake in, 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 in the Miami franchise. Give us a little bit of the details of some of the intricate things of this contract that made it worthwhile for him to want to come. Yeah, I, I mean, th- there is – it's it's a little bit more complicated than most regular deals, right? In terms of the numbers, in terms of how many years and 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 dollars he's going to get, are going to be wildly different than the amount of total compensation he's about to get. He's going to get an equity share in the ownership uh, upon completion of of his contract and retirement. He's going to get uh, an Apple TV, a share of the new subscription 
restrictions that come to the MLS season pass from there. And the big one that I really think is that he's going to get a, a, a percentage of Adidas, uh, uh, you know, a jersey, not just merchandise, jersey, but apparel yep. sales from this. And, you know, some some people have already that are that are in the sports business world have already valued that at, at around forty five, fifty million dollars a year. So you, you talk about that immediately. That, that's just on top of what he's already going to be making in these other areas, areas. And that just goes to show what the total compensation of this will wind up being. Length of contract. My my view, just from the outside world, from a fa- I would I would guess it's probably this year plus two more would be my thought process. When he's what thirty seven, he'd be thirty seven. What are your thoughts on the length of just a, this playing part of the playing part of the contract? Yeah, like he had mentioned in his uh, only interview that he's done since then, that that, that things have not been one hundred percent finalized. So we can't say for certain. Um, but but the the likelihood is that this is two and a half years. The right. rest of this year and two years that lines up with the World Cup as as well in 2026 with the USA hosting, uh, which makes a lot of sense. It also lines up more so with Miami to possibly be able to open their brand new stadium at the very end of this deal. Um, so all signs point to that. It could be a one and a half plus an option that right. that's definitely on the table. There's a lot of contracts like that in Major League Soccer. Uh, but but that's sort of the the time frame that we're looking at right now. All right, and uh, as far as debut day, obviously there's been some chatter late July. Obviously it'll be obviously it'll be a home game. Is that what you're? Is that kind of the timeline that you think will probably be late July? Give him it's going to take him another couple weeks to get the deal done and get moved over and all that stuff. And he's going to probably train with the team for a couple weeks. Is that the timeline you think late July? Yeah. So July fifth is is the opening of the transfer window. So that okay. that's the very first date. From there, Inter-Miami has two road games at D.C. and at St. Louis over the course of the next two weeks. I would doubt that he would start on the road. That doesn't really make much sense. And then the the, the, the date that we're hearing a lot is July 21st. Why is that important? It's because that is the time when uh, Major League Soccer actually takes a pause for a month, and they're going to have a brand-new competition between Major League Soccer and Liga MX in Mexico mm. called the Leagues Cup. It's going to be a single knockout tournament, similar to World Cup style of play, Inter-Miami actually hosts their group in that with Cruz Azul from Mexico and Atlanta United, uh, a team that Miami is very familiar with. That makes a lot more sense, having the group entirely in Miami and where they'll go from there. So July 21st is really the the circle date that a lot of people have right now. Last question I'm messing, and we'll get to a couple other soccer things. Talk about the the thriving interest level in Miami FC or Inter-Miami FC now when the news was announced last week or so, just with the diehard fans, with the people that you speak to as part of your uh, your your podcast and publication, just talk about the hysteria down there in, in South Florida. Yeah, it's wild, right? Uh, every single road game that Miami will play for the rest of the year now sold out. Uh, tickets that went for $29 previously at Miami's home stadium, now going for upwards of $500 each time. Uh, it, it's an absolute buzz. There, There is obviously... Um, the 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 anticipation uh, palpable that Inter Miami is talking about the possibility of trying to even bring in some more stands into the stadium right now, um, which, which you know given the the compact nature of the schedule, we'll see if that's even logistically possible. Uh, but there is definitely a ton of excitement right now around this. The fans could never, in their wildest dreams, have imagined that Leo Messi 
in South Florida, with the Argentinian population, with the South American population, with the excitement that, that they have wanted, could never have in a million years in, in, dreamed that this would be possible. So uh, finding someone that isn't on cloud nine is much more difficult than finding someone who is. And for the league, this is, I mean, for again, for soccer fans in America, this is equivalent, if not a tad bit higher, to Pelé coming to the Cosmos back in the in the 70s because he's coming off of a world championship, a World Cup. His, his, you know, the one thing he didn't have in his resume, he was the player of the tournament, even more hype. Pelé was more at the end when he came. Messi's, you know, he he's not in his prime by any means, but he's still elite when it comes to that. And he you're and and, and the league's gonna get to see that at least for a year, year and a half, I would think. He's coming off winning the World Cup where he was yeah. the best player in the world, right? So, like th- this isn't some guy looking to retire like that Barcelona statement tried to make him out to be. This is someone who still can deliver a lot of goal creations. It wasn't too long ago that he was a 30 goal a year player. That's we're within a year or two of that. Right. Um, so, so I, I think that, that really you were still getting at least one of the top five players in the world, even with the, the diminished in age or, or whatever you will say. Uh, the, the reason that I don't think that this is like Pele is because the league, this so, will be a huge indictment on MLS, right? The, the, the quality of their improvement over the past decade and a half since Beckham arrived. Their right. investment in young up-and-coming talent that has been exported to all throughout all corners of the world right now, which MLS has really thrived in. This will be a huge test to see. Is Messi going to score 10 goals a game? I don't really think that he will, but is, is he going to, to be an afterthought? I don't think that as well. But him being a quality player in the league speaks to the league more than right. it does messy and i think that that's the huge advantage that the league's going to get out of this all right listening to ian hest uh the founder and uh content producer for the heron outlet covering all things inter miami fc he's based out of south florida covers his team every week every day so he is dialed into what's going on in in the world of soccer we're going to talk a couple of the side do you see any in this transfer window you mentioned opening up here in, in a couple of weeks do you see any other big names from around the world potentially migrating to MLS? Yeah, I mean, uh, Messi has obviously linked a lot of people himself. Um, I, I think that the the first one that comes to mind is Sergio Busquets from yeah. Barcelona, a central defensive midfielder. Uh, that that looks to be closer than not, uh, and, and possibility to happen within the next week or two. Uh, like I said, they have until July fifth to sort of make these dominoes fall correctly. Uh, there's been other names that have been thrown out. Some less than others. I would say like a Luis Suarez, not very likely. Uh, Others like an Angel de Maria is is a possibility, whether it's likely or not. Well, it it varies depending on who you ask. So there are these these questions right now. Explain to the audience how in MLS, is it just whichever franchise offers the most? How does it get determined where these bigger named stars end up at it i mean obviously we know la chicago new york miami are the big markets how do these other guy how do these other smaller markets get involved in some of these transfers yeah it it used to be a lot more complicated now it's a lot less and that benefits the the premier markets like you said like miami and la uh so so they do have the ability to to go out and and make these big name signings there are uh Certain mechanisms in place, the designated player rules, the first one that comes to mind, you can only have three of those players on your team, and you can sign those players to 
a billion, two billion, three billion, <laughs> four billion dollars if you want. Uh, but you can only have three of them on your team. Miami currently has three that will fall below two with some roster mechanisms that they can use. It's called allocation money. We don't need to get too much in the weeds of that. So they will fall below that that threshold in order to so, in order to sign Messi. Uh, but from there, they, they'll need to maneuver things. I'll remind you that Inter Miami is currently under the biggest sanctions ever given out in the history of major league <laughs> soccer they did it for having too many designated players a couple of years ago those sanctions last throughout the rest of the year so it won't be until november or december when those sanctions really get released and they'll have a lot more money to spend can you see with messi making this move can you see a year from now ronaldo being the next guy that comes this way you know, Ronaldo was closer than a lot of people probably know to, to joining Kansas City um, in wow. the offseason. And there there was a lot of talk uh, about Sporting Kansas City being in on that. Uh, I, I think that ultimately the, the Saudi Arabian deal was was best for Ronaldo. He recently signed a new deal. So I don't know exactly the, the details of that as to when he would be able to come to Miami. He's older as well, a year right. older than Messi. So uh, I don't know if those things will line up, but it's definitely a possibility. He was interested once before, so there's nothing to say that he wouldn't be interested again. All right, last thought, and I'll get you out of here. Give me a thought on Man City over the weekend. They beat Inter Milan to win the treble, and they win the UEFA final 1-0. Just the thought of, of, of Man City finally winning the treble and all the pressure on them, Pep Guardiola and all those guys and that whole Holland with his unbelievable year. Just talk about Man City a little bit in their and their pursuit and conquering of the treble. Well, it's 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 a little bit easier when you don't have any financial rules that in, 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 you at all <laughs> in, in what you're trying to accomplish. I mean, I think of the Yankees in the early 90s. Yeah. Would we be amazed that they were able to do this? No, we wouldn't. Man City has spent the most. They are the best team and they should win all of this. It's been a little bit surprising that they haven't. Uh, so so I mean, kudos to them. They, they are the best team on the planet, and they, they were the only ones that were going to stop themselves. And they wound up not, you know, they wound up completing all of this, and they are one of the greatest teams, if not the greatest team of all time. All right, I got one more question I just thought about that I got to get your thought on. Where's the national team going for a coach? What's going on with the national team and the coach? Yeah, I mean, th there's a lot of speculation out there. Obviously, Jesse Marsh is still available. Um, the former Leeds manager who is an American coach, um, I would say if, if you were a betting man, that's probably the first place that you'd go. He said that he doesn't necessarily want to do that, though. So I, I don't really know where that goes. They're into their second interim manager right now. There's a, a great coach in Caleb Porter that's available right now. He's more of an MLS stalwart. I don't know if he fits the mold of a national team coach. Uh, and, and there's, you know, some other national team coaches from other countries that might make more sense. So this is going to be a very interesting process. This is one that U.S. soccer needs to get right. This is probably the United States' greatest chance in our lifetime to make a prolonged run in the World Cup, however long you believe that to be, whether it's a quarterfinals, semifinals, or beyond, um, that they need to get this one right with the talent that they currently have. All right, one more now. I just thought about this, too, while we are talking. Big, we'll talk all a, night. It's okay. Yeah, a, a big, a big a, kind of an under-the-radar under move, a big player that's committed to the united states the brit the kid from england give us a little talk about the kid from england that was he 19 yeah, years old forward yeah, he's a striker the thing that the u.s needs more than anything is a goal scorer and this guy's a up-and-coming goal scorer give us a little insight on, on the british kid that's committed to the u.s he, he, 
So he's a youth Arsenal product. Uh, I'm going to butcher his name. Everybody does. Forlan Balogun. I'm, there you I, go. I, that's not correct, but that's close uh, enough. We'll, we'll learn it within time. <laughs> I assure you. Um, you know, he, he's a quality striker. I mean, really quality striker. Uh, it, it, it begs the question of how he's going to fit into the system, whatever system that might be, uh, because he currently has a very specific style of play. That play is very good. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but but where it fits into this U.S. men's national team will be a bit of a question. Uh, but very talented player, you know, you, again, to make the baseball analogy, you'd call him a five-tool player. Right. Uh, there is no weakness in that game. There is just excitement and, and potential. Uh, and, and so it, it just goes to show where this U.S. team was compared to 10, 15, 20 years ago. They they got world-class players right now, and, and the, the sky's the limit for, for what – everybody thinks is possible if they get it right u.s soccer has a tendency to you know trip over its own feet and get it if they get it right then there's a lot of potential here that's great man all right great content ian uh, ian hess tell all the fans where they can find all your great work covering miami uh inter miami i keep saying miami fc inter miami mls and all the such yeah we're at the heron outlet the heron outlet uh, three words all together at the Heron outlet on Instagram, on Twitter, uh, Twitch, you know, wh- wherever you get stuff, wh- wherever you get your podcast, we're on Apple, Google Play, Spotify, et cetera. And if you want to subscribe to our newsletter, the Heron And are your heat and your Panthers done? Is there any hope there to steal one in seven games? They're not done until they're done. Burn the boats. <laughs> we're, we're riding until it's over. You got to win four. You got to win four. That is true. That is true. Well, Ian, keep up the great work, man. Appreciate the awesome insight on the Messi deal, MLS, and all things world soccer. And we will be in touch as Messi makes his debut, we think, at some point in late July. Keep up the great work, man. We'll be right back. Powers on Sports Podcast. And now a word from Titan Home Lending. Are you in the market to purchase your first time home, relocate to the state of Florida, or just purchase that second home or investment property? Well, if so, Titan Home Lending can help you get financing for that new home purchase. Reach out to Jason Powers, 205-790-1404, and I can help you get pre-approved in less than one day. A pre-approval is critical in order to make that offer on your home. You want to know how much of a home you can make an offer on, and getting a pre-approval will allow you to do that. From an FHA, VA, conventional loan, jumbo loan, bank statement loans, there are numerous loan options out there to help you get into your house of your dreams. You can also renovate. You can do a renovation loan, which will allow you to make home improvements and finance the costs into the loan. So reach out to Titan Home Lending anywhere in the state of Florida for your next home purchase. 205-790-1404. All right, welcome back. Powers on Sports Podcast. Hopefully you enjoyed our chat with Ian Hess talking all things Lionel Messi to Miami. And now we are going to jump into uh, back into the college football world a little bit. We're going to talk a little uh, Djokovic breaking the uh, Grand Slam record. We'll talk a little Phoenix Suns with our man, our West Coast guy, editor of USA Today's Trojan Wire covers all things USC, Pac-12, just a guru on the uh, the, the entire sports landscape. Matt Zemick, back on the podcast. How you doing, Matt? I'm doing great. And hey, Ian Hest is my man. and He's enjoying the 
South Florida spring of dreams. Yeah, uh, I might know. Fall short, might fall short in the Stanley Cup and NBA Finals, but still, the two Final Fours with FAU and Miami, and then the, the Heat and the Panthers. Sevens in Boston in yeah. both leagues, making the finals, both NHL. Like, you've had uh, like four straight days, two Heat NBA Finals home games, two Panthers home games, and now Messi. Like just an absolutely amazing two and a half months. So you're, I know, sure. you know, Floridians are having some kind of time. That's right. That's right. And I know Ian's involved in some of your podcast production side of stuff, and I know he does some stuff with you. So good, uh, good confluence of people this week on the podcast. I'm absolutely. glad we were able to to get you guys both, and you guys are doing do a great job as always. So all right. So before we get to some college football, let's talk a little Djokovic at the French Open. Breaks the record 23rd Grand Slam title on Sunday in a spirited match with Casper Ruud. Kind of the showdown match that we all were looking for on Friday in the semifinals. Kind of fizzled when Alcaraz, I mean, he has to take a major hit for this. Not that he lost, but when you cramp up in the third freaking set and you're 20 years old, are you kidding me? The guy hasn't been pushed the whole tournament you know that's a bad to me. That's a stain on him. That's not a good look when you're when you're you're cooked after two plus sets and you can't basically continue. Your thoughts on Djokovic and that you know the, the just the French Open and the whole situation with Alcaraz? Yeah, let's start with the Alcaraz piece and we can get into Djokovic and his place in history. So what's the Alcaraz thing? Like Jason, you know that the NBA Finals are winding down and often in the NBA, like how, what's the law of the jungle in the NBA usually? You have to lose at a high level, you know, on a big stage. You have to get a kick in the gut, uh, you know, before you then win, before you then become the big cheese. Like in the 1980s, you know, growing up, like the Pistons had to lose to the Celtics before they could top yep. them. Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen had to lose to the Pistons before they could top them. You know, usually you have to go through uh, the big guys, you know, before – you figure it all out. Yeah. And, and, and so entering this French Open, I did think that Novak Djokovic was the favorite. Now, you know, you know, when you see Alcaraz play most of the ATP tour, like it's impossible not to fall in love. Like <coughs> Stefano Tsitsipas is a role, former French Open runner up. Uh, he's made two major finals. Clay is his best service, like the top spin forehand that he hits. Yep. It's rewarded on clay more than any other surface. So, like, since a pass against most guys on clay, he's a beast. But Alcaraz just walks in in the quarterfinals and just absolutely dismantles him. It was no contest. So you take a very, very, very good clay court player, such as Stefano Sitsipas, and Alcaraz just walks over him like he's not even there. So, like, that tells you how high a ceiling Carlos Alcaraz has, and that's why he was a betting favorite going into a Friday semifinal against Djokovic. But here's the thing. Most guys aren't Novak Djokovic. Right. You know, Djokovic is going to ask questions of you that no one else will. I mean, certainly with Rafael Nadal injured and, you know, near the end of the line, you know, next year probably is going to be the last year of his career, barring some unforeseen plot twist. Novak Djokovic is not most guys. Novak Djokovic is not an ordinary tennis player. He's not, you know, a moderately good tennis player. He's an icon and he's an icon for a reason. You know, he's at the very top of the sport for a reason. And so he's going to get balls back that no one else does. He's going to have a plan B, a plan C. 
for defending you, for countering you, that no one else will, because obviously he has a huge tennis IQ. And this is and this is what really decided Friday's uh, semifinal. Djokovic has been there so many times before, knows how to handle himself, knows how to carry himself. And in tennis, it's up to you. Like, and, and of course, you know, we've had some coaching controversies in the past. Like, it's really easy to, you know, for a coach in the stands to wear a cap. And you just kind of, you know, uh, you point your finger to the side, and like, you know, serve, like, you know, to serve yeah. wide. Or, like, it's so easy to give, you know, little signals. But even then, like, a, no coach in the world can tell you, be relaxed, just hit, play the next point, hit the ball. You know, this, so this was Carlos Alcaraz's, I mean, he's won a major, but when he won that major at the U.S. Open. No Djokovic. He, yes, he was playing, playing Francis Tiafo right in the semis and Casper Ruud in the final, and those are good players, but they're not Novak Djokovic, and so it's a whole different realm, a, a whole different world yep. of pressure, whole different level of scrutiny, whole different level of expectations. And Alcaraz said after this match, "I've never been so tense," and like that, it just he was ambushed. He was ambushed by how nervous he was. And a lot of people, you know, naturally think that, oh, if you're nervous, well, then you're just going to shank your shots. You're not going to be able to put balls in the court. Well, hey, nerves manifest differently for everyone. And in right. this case for Alcaraz is that his body seized up because of just the nervous the tension, energy. The tension, yeah. He couldn't, he couldn't flush it out of his body, and it just all became a tidal wave. Now, you might remember the 2004 Rowan Garros finals really before the big three era of Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic really got rolling. You know, Nadal won his first French Open next year in 2005. But in 2004, it was a match between Gaston Gaudio and Guillermo Coria. Guillermo Coria wins the first two sets over Gaudio in this in the 2004 French Open final, love and three. He was he was dominating. So like Alcaraz was out there for two hours and 45 minutes and then he cramped up. Which again, as you said, like wh where, how, how the heck did that happen? Like that should never happen. Gaudio, or I mean, Coria, he was out there for barely more than an hour and he was running away with it up two sets to love. And then the third set, like he realizes, oh, I could win my first French Open. And he just, he, his nerves just completely right. disintegrate. And that led to cramps. And, and so like, and here he is, here's uh, Coria in the fifth set of a match that he was up six love, six three. He's cramping in the fifth set. He's serving underhand. He's desperately trying to stay in the match, and he loses. That's, like, the closest comparison I can come up with, Jason, to what we saw in the Alcaraz match. But, like, sometimes the nerves don't manifest in shanks or, like, you just – a million double faults. You burn it's all just, your energy. You burn, you all, burn your energy. all your energy. That's right. And you just don't know how to handle that. And so this was Alcaraz's first real go-round against Djokovic. At a major, you know, they played in Madrid one right. year ago, but again, Madrid is not Roland Garros. So it, we really keep coming back to this notion of, you know, playing 99% of your tour matches, you know, playing most matches in a season, playing most guys, most opponents in a season, you know, it, it, it it's pretty manageable because there's not the stakes. There's not the sure. of, oh, wow, what a moment this is. But when you're playing Novak Djokovic and when you're playing him in a major semifinal or final, it is just a completely different challenge. And that's why this big three era, which is winding down, yep. has been so special. Because these guys just always 
no bring their a game themselves Djokovic is never he's never laid an egg in a final he might have got beat but he's never laid an egg like I'm not saying Akira's laid an egg but when he loses the other guy beats him he doesn't get beat two two and two in a final it's because the other guy's better and here's the essential thing about Djokovic for your audience uh on the powers on sports podcast Jason like Federer, Nadal, uh, also Serena, Steffi Graf, Martina Navratilova, Chris Everett, you know, all these great champions with 18 or more titles. Like, they're all clutch. They've all come through very tough scoreboard situations. You know, they'll win that uh, key tiebreaker. Right. Uh, you know, five five all, 40 all, or five six, break point down. You know, they've, they've all come through those uh, pressure cooker moments time and time and time again so they're all clutch this is not to imply that those several players that i've just mentioned are not clutch but here is where novak djokovic does rise to a higher level that's why he is the greatest of all time djokovic doesn't just win those tough moments the way you know federer nadal steffi martina serena have done like they've all they all do that but what Djokovic does more than anyone else, anyone else I've ever seen, anyone else in tennis history, man or woman, he will play like crap for half an hour. He will not play very well. And then, but then five, six tiebreaker after a half hour of not playing well, he will play great. Yep. That is what, that is what he does better than anyone else. So it's not just winning a close match. Right. It's that he can go through 30 to 45 minutes of subpar tennis and you know Djokovic will vent he will talk to his box he will curse all right and you know one of the fallacies of sports evaluation over the years is like if you're a stoic you know you don't really care or like you lack that competitor's edge like Tom Landry was a stoic like a classic example you know he didn't emote so you know he didn't that's why he lost to the Steelers in the Super Bowl that's why you know Dallas Cowboys had so many you know, excruciating losses in, in late stage games. And Landry didn't win nearly as many Super Bowls as he could have. You know, so like many people get into that. Like if, if you don't emote, then you're just not passionate enough. You don't have enough hunger. Here's the other side. Djokovic, he's always emotive. You know, he's always really passionate and just spewing all this energy. But like, whereas Alcaraz gets ambushed by, by that, Djokovic always has something left. So like he's emoting. He's releasing that energy, but like it's always in balance. It's always in proportion. It's ne- he never really oversteps. He always has enough left. He knows to have when enough to stop. left. When to be for the, the right with moments. It. Yep. And 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 but like people will think, oh, he's such a hothead. How can he stay so focused? But he channels that energy. That's the thing. Whatever the energies are, whatever the emotions are, and they're very complicated. He finds a way to channel them. Like he knows how to do this. He knows that finer art of, you know, you're it's it's you against the world. Yeah. You can control how you react. He knows how to react. He knows how to just put it all together and focus when it really matters. And just because he's emotive, that doesn't mean he's careless. It's it, it's like he has his formula and he manages to put it together every single time. And like the so the ultimate thing about Novak Djokovic, it's a very simple sentence, but it has a profound truth. He is comfortable being uncomfortable. And I'll give you a note. That yep. is his signature characteristic. It's why he's the GOAT, period. That's it. 
And I'll say a couple stats on it. He's won every major at least three times, which is incredible. Nobody's ever done that. Even with all Fed and Nadal, obviously Nadal has so many French Opens, but he hasn't, he's only won, like Federer's only won one French Open in all his majors. He's won them all at least three times, which is incredible to think. Two, he's on his way to the Grand Slam again this year. He's won the first two legs heading to Wimbledon. It will be su- it will be an unbelievable sight if he gets through Wimbledon heading to New York City to try to win the Grand Slam at 36. And here's the other thing. You made a great point about comfortably uncomfortable. Most of the time in these finals, he's the villain. Federer and Nadal get all the crowd support. Alcaraz, Andy Murray, they've gotten all the crowd support most of the time when Federer or when Djokovic has been in these finals. Because Djokovic is a little prickly with the crowd from time to time. He's not afraid to to shout down a fan who's rooting on the other guy. So that's the other part of his greatness, which you mentioned. He's comfortable being in a hostile environment. Yep, he, he absolutely feeds off that. One thing about the Grand Slam to compare to 2021 when he did come, you know, he came one match short. He yep. won 27 matches. He couldn't get number 28. You know, each major is seven matches. So he was 27 up, 27 down, just have one left. Lost to Medvedev in the U.S. Open final. The differentiation between then and now, in 2021, he played the Tokyo Olympics. And right. many people thought that, you know what, if you want that piece of immortality, you want that piece of history, sit out the Olympics, spend the middle of the summer resting up, recharging, he was overextended. He was a little bit frayed hey, at the, the end. end. You're mentally right. Going yep. into that final, you don't have the Olympics this year. He's going to get the requisite amount of rest. So if he gets through Wimbledon, look out. It's it's really lining up for him. And I think the real question, Jason, <laughs> is going to be how quickly can Carlos Alcaraz learn from what just happened to right. him at the French Open? Alcaraz has another go at Djokovic. Does and remember, Alcaraz won the U.S. Open last year, so he's the def- he he'll did. be the defending yeah. champion. I mean, and again, you can see how much game Alcaraz has when oh, everything's yeah. going smoothly. Like, he can run with Djokovic. He can cover the court as yep. well as Djokovic can. He has, like, the plan B, plan C, the way Djokovic does. Like, Alcaraz can win with power. He can win with finesse. But does, you know, his he, does he have guy. the mind to win? Does he have yeah. the mind? He has the physical tools, but does he have the mind to win? Exactly. And that's... So people are going to say, well, is Djokovic going to be tripped up at Wimbledon? Is going to be tripped up at the U.S. Open? It's less about the tournament. It's really more about Alcaraz because Alcaraz is the guy who can physically compete with Djokovic. But is he going to be mentally ready if he can get a rematch with Djokovic, either at Wimbledon or in New York? No, I agree with you. I agree with you. And, and Djokovic will be a heavy favorite at Wimbledon. U.S. Open's a little more dodgy because so many Medvedev, more guys are better fast court be, players. Medvedev could be a problem. That's right. That's right. So there's more ability to get upset at, at the U.S. Open, but it'll be an unbelievable sight if we get to Labor Day weekend and Djokovic is still in the mix. All right, last thing on the tennis, and then we'll move on. How about your boy Tom Brady in the in the box? Right next to the Djokovic box, getting the hug and getting the hand, the dap from Djokovic post match. You know, I mean, like Tom Brady, Djokovic, like the two guys who like being the villain or at least don't yep. mind being the villain. Like yep. it fits, right? Yeah, it fits. You know, the Patriots were the evil empire. And That's you know, right. Djokovic, Djokovic busting through the Federer Nadal uh, axis, you know, those two beloved athletes. Yep. Like it, it fits. It feels right. It was a cool sight. It was cool to see him there. I'll, I'll give him credit. It is. Two giants, it, two giants of sports. Because Brady's also big buddies with Federer, too. 
He and Federer are also buddies too, so it's pretty cool to see. That was a plot twist. That's right. That's right. All right, a couple quick thoughts, and we'll get some college football. Give me a thought on the Phoenix hire of Frank Vogel. Monty Williams out after another meltdown in Game 7. Uh, Vogel's brought in. A lot of people thought maybe not him, maybe an assistant coach. Kind of a, a, a I won't say out-of-the-box hire, but a little bit of a surprise in Phoenix. New ownership there. Uh, he's kind of a defensive guy. He likes big men, so maybe he can get some more out of Aiton, get some, motive, some, some development out of Aiton. I'll let you talk on that. Just your thought on the Vogel hire in Phoenix. I mean, you know, Vogel's a confident coach, won a title. You know, when he took the Pacers, you know, to game seven of the conference finals, made yep. some several deep runs there. Uh, to me, Jason, like, you know, I'm here in Phoenix. And, like, I remember the meltdown against the Mavs one year ago. And then, of course, the implosion uh, <laughs> against the Nuggets in game six. You know, two blowout losses on your home floor yeah. in consecutive years. And just from my vantage point, I think you have to trade DeAndre Ayton. I think that ship has sailed. That relationship has run its course. Now, maybe there is a thought process from the Suns that with Monty Williams out, maybe Vogel can convince Aiton to stay. But, like, if he convinces Aiton to stay, Aiton has to be better. Aiton was nowhere near good enough in each of these last two playoff runs. You now have Kevin Durant. You can't squander this. Like, this is a win-now thing. You're not building for the future. You You got a two-year window. You probably have a two-year window. And, of course, you know, so the Nuggets are on the precipice of winning it all. When people uh, listen to this podcast, the Nuggets might have have won it. We're, we're recording this on Monday night. Game yeah. five is just tipped off in Denver. Yeah. So that yeah. by the time you're listening to it, Denver's probably going to be a world champion. Yeah. But, but anyway, so regardless of the result of game five, like the Nuggets are close to winning right. their first ever NBA title. Right. Suns have not won an NBA title yet. The, the Valley of the Sun is desperate. For that breakthrough so like you can't experiment here if right. you're the Suns, you need to you need to have a firm answer you need to know that there's buy-in from Aiton if you're going to bring him back if he if he wants to come back and if if you're not getting the right answers if you're not absolutely convinced and if Kevin Durant uh is not completely sold on Aiton you know right this is this is my guy I'm running with him ride or die with him I want Aiton on my team Right. Like if you're not getting, if you don't have full trust in the locker room, of course you're going to ask the other players what they think about Aiden. If they are, if they do not fully want him as a teammate, he's gone. He has to be gone. And so that last last quick last quick coaching change. Last quick question about Phoenix. Coaching change more than the coaching change. Aiden is really the central issue for the Suns. That's what they have to figure out. And the other big decision Phoenix has to make in the next week or so is what do you do with Chris Paul? Do you try to package him? Do you bring him back? Do you cut him and then maybe re-sign him at a discounted rate? They're going to owe him some money no matter what they do, but it's a matter do you want to pay him $15 million to play somewhere else or pay him $15 million and maybe re-sign him for 4 or $5 million if you if you release him? And, or could you package him with Aiton to get somebody to take both those guys off your hands from a salary cap perspective because Phoenix needs to build the the bench. That's where they were deficient. They, they got to build some depth on that team because they just got, they just got carved up on the bench in the playoffs. Yeah. And so the thing with Chris Paul, and you know, this as well as I do, Jason, that, you know, at his age, like you need him fresh for the playoffs and that's been his big obstacle. It's been his big yep. problem, you know, his body holding up in the playoffs and like, if you're the Suns, like 
what what really matters, right? Right? What are you playing for? And like we just saw a season in which the seventh seeded Lakers got to the conference finals with a legitimate chance, you know, to do something. Like they're right now, their roster wasn't good enough. Denver was a lot better, but right. Like the idea that you have to get a top three seed to be a top tier no uh, title contender. Look, look what have the Miami Heat done? Right. You know, as an eight seed. So if you're the Suns. The regular season doesn't matter. Like health, just, health, like health, just, health, just, health. You know, avoid the playing. All right. Like get yeah. a six seed, get a five seed. Right. You know, but then like Chris Paul should not be playing more than 20 50 games. Game. Yep. 55 yeah. games. And also load management. Yes. Yeah, super load management. And you're just focusing on having him ready for the playoffs. And if, and if he doesn't agree to that, if he says, I, I want to play 30 minutes a night, gotta go You're gone you're gone we got us we gotta get someone younger fresher who can give us more minutes more value like uh, so if chris paul will accept playing 15 20 minutes severely reduced load during the regular season so that he can be fresh in the playoffs like that's what the suns and bogle need to that's the conversation they need to be having with him if chris paul is not willing to make that sacrifice so that he can then i mean like then in the playoffs you can play Longer minutes, but right. like he needs to be basically put on ice for as much of the regular season as possible. If he's not willing to do that, no, sorry, find somewhere else to play. Gotcha. All right, listen to Matt Zemek, USA Today Trojan Wire editor. We're gonna, I'm gonna, we've gotten to the tennis and the little hoops. Now I'm gonna give him two basketball questions to get him out, or football questions, excuse me, to get him out of here. He obviously covers the Pac-12 and USC, and obviously the last week or so, the some of the uh, Pac. The new Big Ten schedule, obviously USC is going to the Big Ten, has started to trickle out. And I saw game one in the Coliseum, the Wolverines come a-calling in home game, conference game number one. Give the Big Ten credit. They 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 dropped a bomb in week one, you know, the first conference home game for USC. Your thoughts on just the trickling out of the of the of the new Big Ten, which is going to include USC UCLA. Okay, well, there's a, there's a USC component to this, but first, on a general level, I was really impressed, and I think a lot of people were impressed by the Big Ten's scheduling format, the larger structure, and, and the really big takeaway from this, Jason, is that uh, a lot of people thought that every team was going to have to play the three fixed opponents every year, because you've seen other conferences do this. You know, you have, you're going to play two or three of the same teams every year. Well, the Big Ten didn't do it that way. The Big Ten did what they called Flex Protect Plus. In other words, not every team has the same amount of protected games, you know, basically the rivalry games that fans want. The Big Ten varied that. So Iowa wanted all three of its main rivalry games to be protected. Nebraska, Minnesota, that's Floyd of Rosedale, the big, yep. Yep. Uh, and Wisconsin. And Iowa got those three games protected. But Penn State didn't have any games protected. Because Penn State's still comparatively newer to the conference, um, and and Penn State makes out well in this because Penn State will no no longer have to play Michigan and Ohio State every year, right? Without interruption, uh, and 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 USC has one protected game, one annual game, and that's of course UCLA, right? Traveling partner, Los Angeles buddy. So I was impressed that the Big Ten like like what Iowa needs is not the same as what USC needs, which is not the same as what Penn State needs, which is not the same as what Maryland needs. Like, right. That was really smart. So that was really impressive. Now about USC. The 2025 schedule, two years from now, is going to be hell. At Ohio State, 
at Wisconsin and USC also is at Notre Dame that year. So that's going to be bonkers for USC. That's going to be tough. But 2024, you look at the USC schedule, at Penn State is the only really tough road game. You have Wisconsin and Michigan at home, yeah. but at Penn State is the only especially tough road game. And so if we're talking about making the playoff, Lincoln Riley getting back to the college football playoff, he's obviously going to try to do that this year with Caleb Williams, and, and he might, but – Next year, you're going to have the 12-team playoff. And so with USC having only Penn State as a, as a tough road game, also next year, Notre Dame is a home game. So USC gets Michigan, Wisconsin, and Notre Dame all at home. Penn State's the only really huge road game. If USC can get through LSU and Brian Kelly in week one on Labor Day weekend next year, then USC basically just has to win its home games, and it's going to make the playoff. It's going to return to the college football playoffs. So the 2025 schedule is a beast, but the 2024 Big Ten schedule looks very favorable for USC and Lincoln Riley. And just remind the fans, they got one more year in the Pac-12, correct? Yep, this is this it. This is it, yep. This is so, it. And you're not going to, and most likely, you're not going to have Caleb Williams in 24, so you're going to have a new quarterback yeah. situation yeah. to find, but it's Lincoln's be been Malachi. killing it on the, he's been killing it on the recruiting trail, so they should have no issues as far as finding somebody that's competent and capable. Yeah, well, now here's uh, – just on that point, Jason, here's the really big thing that a lot of people might not be aware of. So, you know, Lincoln Riley in 2023, what's his big challenge this season? It's making sure that Alex Grinch's defense can be reasonably competent, that right. you don't, you're not springing the leaks that we saw against Utah in the Pac-12 title game and then against Tulane in the Cotton Bowl. So Lincoln Riley is a little bit more of an overseer this year because he has to pay, pay a little bit more attention to the defense – and make sure that doesn't cave in on him. But he made one very important move, and it got a little bit of press, but like people might not be all that aware of it because this, this wasn't a coordinator. This wasn't a strength coach. This is just an offensive analyst. Cliff Kingsbury, yep. that hire of Cliff Kingsbury, that's going to be like the he's going to be the guy who is just will always be able to be with the quarterbacks, coaching them up this season. And so in many ways, like Lincoln Riley has already done the coaching with Caleb Williams. Caleb and, and Lincoln, they understand each other. They know what to expect. They know yep. what they need to do. The most important thing for USC heading into 2024, Defense. which is going to take place this year, it's going to be Cliff Kingsbury coaching up freshman quarterback Malachi Nelson and also back, the other backup, Miller Moss, who's been in the program for a few years. How well Cliff Kingsbury teaches Malachi Nelson and Miller Moss to prepare them for 2024 when one would assume Kingsbury will then have a coordinator job or maybe a mid-tier uh, head coaching co job. Right, right. He's probably going to leave, but how well Kingsbury prepares the backup quarterbacks this year, yeah. preparing them for next year, that's going to be the most important under-the-radar development for USC football this entire year. All right, last question for you. What do you think is going to be the story of the college football story of the summer? we got about two months until training camp starts for most everybody. Talk to me about is it going to be what's the fate of the Pac-12? What does the Big 12 do as far as expansion? You know, obviously, you know, UCLA and USC are gone. What do the Arizona schools do? What do the Washington, Oregon, Colorado, where do they go? Is that kind of what do you think is the, the big story here in college football the next two months? that we're not talking about. 
Well, you see, everyone's talking about the Pac-12 and the Big 12 and how that's going to go. And I just have to say, like, people have just not learned to shut up. Like, let's just <laughs> wait for this to play out. Like, you have the Big 12 fans and you like Dennis Dodd, like, gets every single leak from a Big 12 source. Then you have John <laughs> Wilner and John Canzano, you know, reporting on the Pac-12. And you have the fans going at each other, like the Pac-12 fans yep. th or think Dennis Dodd is the devil and Big 12 fans think that Wilner and Canzano are the great Satan. And like no one is just learning to shut up and just sit back and wait for this thing to happen. And we'll just see if the Pac-12 can land the plane, if George Klyavkov can get a media rights deal. My big college football story that I don't think has been talked about a ton, like it's being talked about in, at the, in, in the SEC, but I don't think people are talking about it nationally. Like I think Alabama is set up to fail this year. The quarterback Tyler situation's Buckner, bad. Tyler Buckner is your quarterback, right? And you're relying on his relationship with Tommy Rees, right? You know, from Notre Dame, you're relying on that Nick Saban as your go-to move at quarterback. Like I, I, I'm seeing three losses for Alabama with right. Tyler Buckner at quarterback, and that seems to be a very underplayed storyline in the summer. A lot of people seem to be assuming, oh, it's Saban, it's Alabama, it's going to work out. No, Tyler Buckner, have you seen him play? Like, yeah. I, I, average I'm, at I'm best, average at best. I'm surprised how much benefit of the doubt Saban is getting. And I know he deserves benefit of the doubt to a certain extent. But again, Tyler Buckner, Tyler Buckner, I'm just going to keep asking that. Tyler Buckner? So yeah. that, that to me is the huge storyline at the top national tier of college football right now. Last thing on the big Pac-12, over-under on wins for Colorado. I will, and we'll get to this. I won't hold you to this, but as of early early June, has, is Dion talking out of his britches, or is this guy, can he, can he win five or six games this year at Colorado? Okay. If I was setting the number, okay? I Again, this can change. Two. I'll let you change okay. this come August. Yes. But yes. as of today. If I was setting the number, you know, for people to get equal, an equal amount of betting on both sides yep. that I make money, I'd set it at 2.5. Wow. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, here's the thing about Dion. All, this huge portal exodus transformation, yep. it would be a lot different if he had done this in January and February. But he did it after the spring game. Right. I don't think people have any clue just how chaotic things are going to be in the first half of the season. Like and, and, like, it's not as though he doesn't have talent, but you just can't throw everyone together uh, before August camp with basically no coaching, no organization, right? And just expect that to come together. That's not how this thing works. And Dion has not been tamping down expectations. He's been talking a very big game, and reality is a freight train that's waiting to hit Colorado. The schedule is also front loaded because television networks like they know this situation is fragile. Right. They want. Colorado to be on TV in September Quick, before early. the Buffaloes uh you know become damaged goods. So like Colorado is very, very likely to be one in six, one in seven. Wow. The, 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 you know, will Colorado win four games? I, I I'm somewhat skeptical. That's why I'd set the number at 2.5, not 3.5. Right. But if Colorado does win four games, it's gonna be because after two very rough months of losing, then guys start figuring it out and with accumulated time accumulated reps then in november they figure it out they get on a little bit of a winning streak but 
right now, like I would say Colorado probably won't win more than three games. And like, so if you set the number at two and a half, I'd be split. That's why I put the number there. If you gave me 3.5, I would just run to the under right away. And I would feel very good about my chances. Interesting. Interesting. Interesting thoughts there, Matt Zemek. Well, Matt, we will definitely be in touch as we get towards August and training camp. Tell all the fans where they can find all your great work on USC, Pac-12, and all things. He's a great Matt's a great Twitter follower, not just sports. He talks about all things going on in the world. So tell everybody where they can find all your great online content and your Twitter handle. Yeah, so Twitter handle, Matt Zemek, Z-E-M-E-K. Uh, I have a Patreon podcast that that runs throughout the year, So if, and, and I make it public. But like, if you want to, if you listen to that podcast, you like what you hear, you know, throw a few bucks in the tip jar. And then my main job, my day job at Trojans Wire, trojanswire.usatoday.com. We're giving you every possible angle on the Big Ten schedules and lots of Big Ten football history, lots of fun stuff involving Pete Carroll, Dick Vermeil. Uh, yep. Ohio State, Michigan. And I got oh, I forgot one thing I gotta get in before I, we got about two we got about two minutes left. I completely forgot. Talk about the hysteria with Bronny James coming to town. Oh man, like so, we're gonna have so much fun at USC this fall, this yeah, winter. Man. You know, you have Lincoln Riley and the football team, and then Bronny James coming to USC, and you know, USC Kansas State season opener November 6th in Vegas. Like wow. USC. USC has been so irrelevant and of course in basketball and of course overshadowed by UCLA. Of course, that's the blue blood in Los Angeles and instantly what you now have Stephen A. Smith, Skip Bayless, everyone talking about USC hoops. It's going to be such a culture change and everyone's going to want to be at USC basketball. And Andy Enfield really does have his best team by far. He has Isaiah Collier, the number one recruit in the country. Yep. You have Boogie Ellis coming back for another year. That was a surprise. You have Vinci Wuchuku, the big man who had the heart attack a year ago, couldn't practice in the summer. Well, this year he's going to have a full summer of workouts, and so he could hit his ceiling. USC is legitimately a top 12, top 15 level team, and it's not just because of Bronny. This team could be really special. Most experts think that USC and Arizona are the top two teams in the Pac-12 right now heading into November. And everybody seems to think that Bronny's probably going to be a pretty good defensive player. We don't know what his offensive abilities are going to be yet. Sounds like he, you know, most people think he'll be a pretty good defender. It'll be, it's going to be very interesting to see if he's a one and done kid. I know he wants to go, but if he doesn't play well enough, and, that, and somebody will take him in the first round because of his last name, but will he have earned that opportunity to be a first round pick? It's going to be very interesting to see the development of Bronny at the college level playing against better talent than he's played against in high school. Biggest thing for Bronny, you know, just play defense. And, and, on, and on the offensive end, you know, Collier is an elite point guard. He's going to create catch-and-shoot opportunities for Bronny. Yeah. Bronny doesn't have to be the ball handler. Bronny doesn't have to drive to the basket. If he can be a catch-and-shoot, a reliable catch-and-shoot three-point marksman, that's going to be more than enough for USC. That's going to be his offensive role on the team. And so he's going to be a two-guard, correct? Not a small forward, yes. a two-guard. Probably two-guard, yep. Perfect. But but the main thing is whatever position he plays, just catch and shoot threes. That's going to be his main offensive responsibility. And who replaces Shannon Sharp on Undisputed with Skippy? Uh, darned if I know, and darned if I care. Because <laughs> <laughs> there'll be some USC, there will be some LeBron hate coming out of Skip's mouth when he's at all these USC games. You can be assured of that. 
Hey, USC has not won the Pac-10, Pac-12 basketball title since 1985. That's really the goal uh, for the Trojans with the roster they have. All right, last thing. All right, so remember, folks, also, if you're not caught it already, check out the Bill Walton 30 for 30 on ESPN. I've heard great reviews. It's playing all this week, so I know it's a, that's that's the rival of Matt, but I know Matt's a historian with UCLA and all that. That's a, That'll be a good, that'll be a good uh, three-part series. And also check out American Gladiators. They did a 30 for 30 on American Gladiators. That was pretty good. I watched that the other day, too. So check that out, too, folks. Well, Matt, appreciate the great work, man. We'll be in touch in August. You're the man. You're my college football guy. Great job on the West Coast. Keep up the great work. Have a great summer. And enjoy the U.S. Open out in L.A. this weekend, too, the, the U.S. Open Golf Tournament. Always fun talking to you, Jason. Thanks so much. All right, folks. Appreciate you finding us. Check us out. JPO Sports on Twitter. Powers on Sports Podcast. Have a great week. When you're listening, you probably we may have a world champion in the hoops, and we may have a world champion on the ice. So we are we recorded this segment with Matt Monday night. So we'll know later tonight on the NBA, and then Tuesday night in Vegas could be a massive party for the night. So have a great week, folks. Love to. Tell a friend about the podcast and go check out Matt's podcast as well. All the great work he does. Have a great week. See you next time. Powers on Sports Podcast. Thanks again for listening to the Powers on Sports Podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on whatever podcast platform you are hearing us tonight. Remember, you can reach out to us on Twitter at Sports. So we'd love to hear your feedback, comments, suggestions for future episodes. And again, thanks for all the support. Remember to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues, and we'd love to see you back next time for the next episode of the Powers on Sports podcast. Have a great week.